Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Welcome to Top Stories of the Week, presented by Girl on the Gov, the podcast. This exclusive bonus episode drops on Tuesdays and gives you the 411 on the need-to-know political news and tea. So as always, we'll keep you updated. Welcome to Top Stories of the Week, election debrief edition (laughs) with a... Very, very special guest who is playing like third girl in the Gov host tonight, which we're really excited about. Welcome, Brian Derrick. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Back, back, back again. Back, literally. literally back, back, wait, back. you are our only sure. guest that's come on three times. This is, we're going to have to get you like a plaque, a trophy, a commemorative balloon. I don't know, something. I've been checking the mail. I'm waiting. Yeah, okay. and we All will right. we Look, will send you a check. We're back order. <laughs> <laughs> but in the meantime, uh, we have got to talk about this election, what happened, what's woo. going to still happen, because it's like we're still in it. We're not done, we're not done yet. This election season is still moving, it's still grooving. We've Absolutely. got so much to roll with. And I think that's why we gotta talk about the Senate first, because this is part OMG, can't believe this happened update situation, and then it's part two, which is what we got to do next. So I guess we should start with the recap of where we're at now as of Monday, November 14th at 9.08 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. There like, what's there the status quo? Oh, you got the full timestamp. <laughs> yeah, you, be- you better timestamp that. <laughs> uh, it changes every couple hours around here. So if you're not familiar, which I'm sure your listeners are because you all are excellent, before the election, there was a 50-50 split in the Senate, 50 Democrats, 50 Republicans bunch of really competitive races. And as of right now, all of them have been called and there are 50 Democrats, 49 Republicans, and Georgia is going to a runoff um, because there was no decisive winner there. So what that means is that Democrats are keeping the majority, which is a big, big freaking deal for a lot of reasons. And so at a minimum, we will have 50 seats for the next two years, assuming nothing happens, and potentially expanding the majority to 51 with the December 6th runoff in Georgia. Which is wild and something nobody really expected, right? Like, Exactly. Yeah, it's we it was my expectation that we would lose the Senate. I I was on that train. I was trying to prepare people. We've been fully. And I think when we got coffee in New York, you were saying the same thing. And Sam and I have been bragging since last week that we have been predicting the opposite. And I'm like, the fact that we might be on the other page as Brian, we're like just tooting our own horn over here. Like, Literally. I love Between that and the fact that we also chatted with Zach and he, yeah. I think he might have to take some shots because there were a few oh bets God, that yeah. we put in. <laughs> we Zach need to text like, him. What was it? Which one was it? 
the I'm gonna, I he said he would take 10 shots if the Democrats won something. I'm like, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> oh, I know. I think I know what it is. It was Mandela Barnes, which unfortunately we did oh, lose. Yeah. But it was so close. Okay, wait. That's a race I want to talk about because that one made me want to cry because it was almost – it's the classic thing of like when something's so close and you can grasp it. You're like, this should have happened. Whereas when it's sort of further away, you're like, okay, like we, we're going to regroup and we're going to figure it out next time. For sure. But like, okay, it wasn't close. Fine. This one, I, I felt like just got wrenched. That's Absolutely. not a word. Good. And there what were a that? few of those, which is also the crazy part of all of this is like, there is a reality that was very potentially real where like Democrats could have an even larger um, balance of like the balance of power could be even larger yeah. for Democrats if yeah. Barnes won North Carolina. Like, a yeah, lot of these were super cool. close. And it's kind of crazy that it could have even been literally a blue wave, at least in terms of the Senate, which wild. Totally. Yeah, I was all in for Mandela for a long time. I think that he's a great candidate, a great human being. I think he belongs in the Senate and I hope he still gets there uh, at some point in time. He's really young, so he still has time. That was a heartbreaker. It was it was mm -hmm. a one point ish rate. So that was that was a hard one. Well, OK, also additional question on that, because this is something that I've been thinking about in 10 different directions all all week is people that split their tickets, because that's what I really struggled with. I was like, OK, so you're telling me that you voted for a Democratic governor and then you voted for Ron Johnson. Like, is this split like ticket splitting situation? Is this pretty common? Is this something that happens more in red states or blue states? Like, is there anything that's like, I don't know, a takeaway on it? Yeah, I think it happens more than people think it does because we all, all do feel like we're in this hyper-partisan time. Like, isn't everybody yeah. voting straight ticket? Aren't you just all the Ds or all the Rs? There are more people who will do one thing at the top of the ticket and do something else down ballot. People actually, some people actually like having split up where they where one party doesn't control the entire state government or the entire federal government so that they negotiate things, which mm -hmm. seems to happen less and less. But yeah. The other thing to keep in mind is that it's not a huge number of people that it that it takes in order to get different results, right? So in a in a state where three plus million voted, uh, even if if fifty thousand end up as ticket splitters, that can be enough to have a Democratic governor and a Republican senator, and then the last thing to think about is drop off. So it's not always the case that people vote for a, a Democratic governor and then a Republican senator. Sometimes you just vote for the governor and you don't vote in the Senate race or somebody mm -hmm. didn't vote for the Republican governor candidate and they did vote for Ron Johnson. So it's not the exact same voters being being tallied for each one, but I'd have to do a deeper dive on that to give you specific numbers. And we're going to dive into like these governor's races in a sec, but like I was going to also ask too, which has me so confused, like Arizona's governor's race hasn't been called, right? And Correct. yet the Senate has. And like even just the timing of that doesn't make sense to me. So I'm like, is that maybe because people are aren't voting for Senate or aren't voting for governor that like the timing could even be off like that blows my mind. I'm like, how is it that like we can call one race and not call the other? Um, right. Like aren't all of the ballots it like, you know, I just don't get that. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think that that's where both both ticket splitting and ballot drop off, which is what we call when you don't fill out your entire ballot, that plays a role. Uh, mm -hmm. And the margin is so much closer in the governor's race, Katie Hobbs and Carrie Lake, than it was for Mark Kelly 
and Blake Masters in Arizona that they were able to project a winner in the Senate race first because they were like, oh, if this many ballots are outstanding and they continue to come in out of 55-45 split, like he's going to win by this much. And they could just say, OK, well, we already know he's going to win. Oh, God. Whereas it was so close in the in the governor's race that they couldn't quite make that. They still have not been able to make that same projection, although I expect they will be able to potentially by the time people hear this. But I don't yeah. Know. OK, Um well, also, I just think on this topic of like ballot counting and everything and getting results in, I'm sure I mean, this has been a thing for the past couple elections, but like I think it's always on people's minds. Like, why does it take so long in some places? Like, can you kind of explain how that works, too? Yes, absolutely. So the important thing to remember just at a high level is that elections are run by states and uh local municipalities are actually run our elections. The federal government does not set the rules for everybody. Everyone sets their own rules state by state. And so in a state like Arizona, you have laws passed around signature matching. That means that every mail-in ballot is going to have to have the signature on that ballot matched to someone's voter registration to make sure that the vote is valid. And that takes a lot of time. I saw an estimate of the Nevada counting. Nevada also has a pretty laborious process that it takes them, I think, a, about eight hours. Each each person who's doing this to about eight hours to do a stack of 400 votes wow. in, in Nevada to, pro, to process the mail-in and get it to Whoa. the point that it's tabulated. So like as you like that takes a lot of people, a lot of time. And the other thing to think about is that there are plenty of states right now that are still counting their ballots. Arizona and Nevada are not the only states doing that. They're the only states and California because of the House races right now. They're the only states that we're paying attention to. They're the only states that we're waiting on because we they are so close. In New York, for example, or maybe that's a bad example this year, but in Massachusetts, there are plenty of races that they may still be counting ballots for, but we were able to project a winner on election night because the margin was not close. They started getting ballots in. They were like 80% Democrat, 20% Republican. Once you get a couple of those, you're like, oh, this person's going to win. I don't have to count every ballot to know that. That's why they call it a projection. Most states are still officially counting ballots and won't certify their ballots for another few weeks. Interesting. We were literally talking about this last week, too, about just media coverage about around projections and how, especially on election night, it feels almost a little bit dangerous, especially oh, for... Katie Hobbs Did they call won. it? Yeah, I just got the projection. Katie Hobbs yes. just won Governor yes. Arizona. <laughs> oh, my God. Time. Let's go. That's oh my God. insane. You heard it here first, just... people. I mean, you probably saw it on your phone. Yeah. Whatever. Wait, that's thank a good God. one. Thank God. Wait. Do you, do, so, you need to, do you need to take a break and do your story? No, 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 <laughs> can we be honest? No, I'm just gonna geek out for a second. You can edit this out if you want to edit this out. No, I'm literally all for it. Oh my god. Wait, Wait but like literally huge. the way that Trump must be shitting his pants. Like literally. We will. We will. Yeah. But oh my God. I have to say, Carrie Lake great makeup job she does a great job that's She's the only thing the i can really say for sure. yeah other from that that's it that's you know so mm -hmm. i don't know wow oh my god 
Okay, so, okay, I have a question within that. Okay. Um, This is a very opinionated question or opinion-based. Of all of the governor's races that Dems won, which do you think was the most important, like the most vital for sort of like the future of democracy? Yeah, it comes down to two for me. It's Pennsylvania and Wisconsin. I think I would say Wisconsin. In hindsight, with the knowledge that I have now, I would say Wisconsin okay. before I would before I would have said Pennsylvania. The reason I say Wisconsin is that in Wisconsin, the governor has veto power over the state legislature, and the state legislature there is so gerrymandered. The Democrats won fifty one percent of the vote, and they got thirty percent of the state ledge seats. So Republicans are just dug in there with really gerrymandered maps. And they pass a bunch of crazy shit, anti-trans, anti-voter, anti-worker, anti-woman, anti, like, that's what they do kind of all day is like, think about who, what community they're going to attack next and pass legislation on that. And the Democratic governor, Tony Evers, vetoes it every single time. He vetoes all of it. So that is why that one, that one seat has so much power for millions of people and their lives every day. So I would say that that one, it's a very similar situation in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. But we have a better shot at the state legislature there. So that's kind of why I, yeah. Totally. Because didn't we just also grab the house, the state house in PA? Yes. So you're, getting, I, you're getting ahead of the schedule here. I'm sorry. <laughs> There's just so much, so many exciting routes to go down. I know. Well, before oh. we even get there, I just want to talk about one of the biggest moments of the Senate and go to Georgia really fast because... There's a runoff okay, and that happened in 2020. And I think it's important to talk about what that even is and like how it will work and thoughts, thoughts on Georgia and all of it. Yeah. So Georgia went to a runoff because neither candidate, Raphael Warnock and Herschel Walker, reached the 50 percent threshold that is required in Georgia in order to, to win that election. And so that means they go to a runoff. And and the way that happened is there was a third party candidate in the running. And so that person took a couple points and then neither of them got to 50%. And so now there's a runoff on December 6th. It's really quick. It's a very fast turnaround. Republicans passed a law after we won the last one to shrink the timeline from nine weeks to four weeks because we did such a good job mobilizing voters to go get out and, and vote to flip the Senate that this time they're like, we're not going to give them that much runway. So now we only have 20 some days to raise the money, knock on doors, phone bank, write letters. It's a lot harder in a, in that short of a time period. So, but like, like we said, that 51st yeah. seat is really important for a lot of reasons, especially if you don't like Joe Manchin. True. Well, yeah. one thing I also do want to know within that law that they passed is the fact that there's no room for voter registration. So mm-hmm. that in and of itself, I think is... Obviously, the whole thing is harmful, but it's just such a particularly specific voter suppression thing, because I think it's what within the there's like a two day margin that totally screws everyone over that they can't register. So it's like all these young voters, if you turned 18, now you can't vote in this runoff. Yeah. Yeah. Beyond me. Yeah. Or 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 you just like you missed it for whatever reason. And now you're now you want to vote and and you missed the registration deadline. Mm -hmm. uh, True. And. Now you can't. I got a bunch of DMs from people that that was the case. And it's a huge bummer. And it's sad that Republicans yeah. are so afraid of their voters. They're totally. So I know. It's wild. Yeah. Well, speaking of Georgia, too, and this can kind of even transition us into these governor's races. But another like split ticket moment was Stacey Abrams and the Senate. And so 
what are the thoughts there? I think everyone's like, how does that happen? Like, what what Oof. what would your explanation be? I saw that one coming from <laughs> around the block from a couple miles away, yeah. honestly. I, I think remember that you one didn't predict that one. Yeah. That was pretty predictable. And people find that really shocking. But I mean, the sad truth, the thing to remember is that the internet is not real life. And you liking someone is not the same as someone else in a voting booth liking mm -hmm. or not liking someone. And I mean, Stacey Abrams is a rock star and she's such a good organizer and all these things. I, it's not to knock any of that. But I think that Republicans have spent tens, tens of millions of dollars attacking her, not even just in Georgia, but defining her kind of all over the country for Republicans as 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 a, one of these Democratic villains. And that has a real impact. And also she was up against a relatively popular governor who's been yeah. able to yeah. define himself as really moderate because he, and I'm using air quotes, which don't work on podcasts, as a moderate because he stood up to Trump by by not overturning an election, which is the lowest bar we could possibly ask of anybody. That but that's the truth. That's the truth is that people think that he's like kind of the straight shooter kind of guy because of that whole debacle. Yeah, um, yeah, And I think that was hard for her to take on when she's the one being painted as an extremist who like wants to let illegal immigrants vote or whatever is, is that yeah. they're saying that's damaging. And, and well, do uh, you not, not true? Do you think George as a whole would have been a completely different story if Herschel Walker wasn't the candidate for the Republican ticket? Um, like, I have a feeling that there's probably people who did split their ticket were like Brian Kemp. Yes, but. Herschel Walker, hell no. Like, do you think that was a theme? That was definitely a theme. That was a, a strong ticket splitting situation. And I think there, there's a lot of Monday morning quarterbacking. Is that, is that sports? Um, <laughs> sports going on mm -hmm. where people are, are sort of like, oh, well, if Republicans hadn't nominated these crazy people, then they would have done so much better. But that's kind of beside the point because who they nominated is about who they are. It's not like they, this isn't Powerball. They didn't end up with these candidates by accident. They mm -hmm. chose them. They voted right. for them more than they voted for anybody else. And so it's so that these candidates, Herschel Walker included, is a reflection of who the Republican Party is. And so you cannot decouple the quality of these candidates and what they stand for and the things that they say from the Republican Party and be like, oh, well, if they if we just swapped in these alternate <laughs> versions, it would have been great because that timeline doesn't exist because that's not who the Republican Party is. Right. Facts. I also have a question in terms of what will happen on this runoff with this. You know, we had this independent candidate, which mm. may be also most likely factor. Yeah, to blame for, you know, sort of why we're in this runoff situation. Do you see that independent candidate? giving votes one way or the other like not really okay it, i i don't think that it'll be it, it it won't it's not a scenario where the couple thousand tens of thousands of people who voted for the third party candidate are going to be the ones who decide it's a it's just about can warnock get his people to come back out or can Walker get his people to come back out? Who will get yeah. a higher percentage of other people to vote again? Like the third party 
candidate voters will play very little role in that compared to if only 60 or 70 percent of your voters come back, you're going to lose. So, yeah, it, it, it'll come down to that. That's a good point. OK, well, let's talk about governors and the governors race across the country and what ended up happening on that, like what people expected versus what actually happened. Democrats do good. Republicans do good. How are you feeling? Give us that. Paint us that picture. I feel fantastic about how the governor's races went. Mm -hmm. um, so the big ones were Pennsylvania, Josh, which Josh Shapiro won, Democrat won. Wisconsin, Tony Evers, the Democrat won. Michigan, Gretchen Whitmer, the Democrat won. Arizona, Katie Hobbs, the Democrat, just won 10 minutes ago. Mm -hmm. um, the only Georgia, of course, was a disappointment, but not a surprise. And then Nevada. Nevada was the only incumbent governor we lost. And that was uh, Sisolak. And I think Nevada was hit really hard by the pandemic. And there were other controversial sort of issues going on there. And he was running against a former police officer that was sort of running on a law and order kind of vibe. So and I yeah. think that resonated. So we lost the Nevada one, but all these other ones, so important. And Nevada is a little bit of a silver lining there, is that we expanded our power in both chambers of the state legislature. So we picked up an extra seat in the Senate and we're expected to have a super majority in the House. So still, it's not like Republicans are going to actually gain a foothold there with any kind of new legislation or voter suppression. They won't be able to do that because we control the legislature. So governors overall, huge success probably had the highest stakes of anything, of the House, of the Senate, of state legislatures. Like having these governors in there means that a Republican governor can't refuse to certify election results that they don't like in 24. It means that we can continue to veto anti-choice uh, legislation and anti-trans legislation and, and those kinds of things. So a governor is a lot of bang for your buck. And we cleaned up. We did really well. Yeah. Cleaned okay, up. well, speaking of Secretary of States. Mm. Boom! Hell yeah. Because, cleaned up. Yeah, because I was particularly worried about this Same. one. Yeah, because for so many reasons, like, you know, democracy on the line, but more than anything, even from the progressive vote, the liberal vote, the blue voters, just understanding and knowing what a Secretary of State does. Like, we've had episodes on it. We've been trying to educate people on why this role is so important and we're not alone in that fight and that teaching by any means but there is such a learning curve on that within the last two years of trying to tell voters how vital it is to vote for secretaries of states and vote blue in this particular case especially but like for someone that doesn't fill out the whole ballot they vote for the governor and the you know the senate candidate and they're like eh, what the fuck is a secretary of state you know that was something that really had me losing sleep so yeah. when those like results came out and mm -hmm. we're okay. I was like, oh my God. Ooh, people actually put their vote in for that. Yeah. Oh, it's massive. It's massive. And not only did they vote, but we destroyed. <laughs> we destroyed them. We beat every single election denier running to oversee our elections in every state that that was a, a competitive race and an election denier was running. We won. Mm -hmm. And that's such a resounding message, right? Because you have there's there's two components to, to to that to that race. One is the hard power, what I would refer to as as hard power of we want someone in there who's making decisions about how to run our elections, who believes in democracy, and that they're going to make choices every day to make sure my vote counts. 
That's hard power. That's important. Totally. Executive decision-making authority. The second is what kind of message it sends. And I don't think we could have sent a better message than to send all of these anti-democratic candidates packing yeah. um, to be like, okay, well, watch out. If you bring somebody to the ballot that is going to openly say, if you elect me, no Democrat will ever win again in this state, which is yeah. actually something that these people were saying, then we're going to send them back to where they came from because mm-hmm. we don't we don't want that. And I think that's a really important message that the Republican Party has gotten loud and clear over the totally. last week. As and I think like not know. only like choosing candidates who are in that realm, but even just like I think it gives me hope that this whole election denying like theme across the GOP, they're going to hopefully put like a full stop to just because it's so out there. But I also wanted to talk about Texas really fast and like that governor's race and specifically about something that you mentioned earlier about how a lot of races where there was significant margins to one side, like it's immediately called. That happened in Texas with the governor's race. Like it was immediate, immediately Abbott. And that one was that's just so interesting to me because I feel like that was one of those moments where you're like the the internet isn't always real life. And but it's kind of shocking because I feel like even in Georgia, there was like they took time to like count everything. Whereas in Texas, like I remember like it hit, you know, eight o'clock or whatever central and it was immediately up it. Like, boom. Yeah. How does that like happen? And then like looking at the maps now, it's just crazy how few little blue districts there are but then in 2020 like it also looked really kind of decent like a decent future for texas given the 2020 results so i'm just curious your thoughts on texas yeah we Beto lost by 11 points so that was not a, a close lot. race no it's a lot it's a lot it... We've and like bring how much does like on? the voting the voting laws maybe also play into this do you think that's a significant factor yeah, I think that I mean there were there were some things going on in Harris County, but it by no means makes up for an eleven point loss. I think that Beto specifically has problems, and as much as he gets some people excited, young people, whatever we might see on the internet, I think he is also someone who scares Republicans enough that he motivates their base a bit as well. And he Mm -hmm. has some like hot takes and some quotes out there that do get the Republican base riled up, like especially about an issue like guns. Right. Like he's been sort of maybe on that on the edge of of where they're willing to message on that issue. And so that can have backlash effects. I think that that's part of it. I think that there's also just I'm not not an expert in this by any means, but I think rapidly changing demographics in the state of Texas over the last 10 plus years and in the, into the next 10 years are something to consider and make and and choosing candidates that are going to reflect that demographic change and also just the the shifting sort of political landscape there. I have never lived in Texas. I'm not an expert about Texas politics, but I think that What's missing from the party end, from the national democratic end, which is what I can speak to, is more of the off-year infrastructure building in the in in communities, right? I I don't think it's going to be when people say like let's turn Texas blue. I don't think it's going to be a candidate that comes to the rescue to just like flip the state. I think it's going to be a really slow burn of how mm-hmm. do we go register 
a million new Democrats in the state of Texas in the next four years? Like, like, how do we do that? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and there are organizations Florida. out there doing that. Well, and just like Florida, same thing with Florida. Exactly. I also, and I, I might have said this last week, I can't quite remember, but it was either I said it or I thought it. It's one of the two, which, you know, 50-50 gamble at this point. But regardless, was discussion for me of the fact that so many people moved to Florida specifically as red voters, as a policy choice for themselves. So they're like, okay, less restrictions. Like I'm, I like DeSantis. I like, you know, those types of policies. That's why I'm moving to Florida. And that has changed the demographic pretty quickly. And I kind of feel the same way about Texas. Like, I feel like I at least see on social media, a good amount of people that have been like, I left liberal California for red Texas. And it's, like, okay, even if we have that count in 2020, that demographic has continued to shift since that date. So I wonder if there was a miscalculation on that in addition to everything else, the, you know, low voter registration, voter turnout amongst young voters there, you know, yeah. uh, I just think it's got to be a mixture because then too, yeah. also additional factor Uvalde, like the numbers out of there, I was. Oh, my gosh, that was a shocking yeah. stat. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting sort of larger societal trend that you're pointing to, which is our self-sorting politically into geographies that we feel most comfortable. And you're dead on, like you're, you're spot on. I think the pandemic accelerated that. I think that liberals have been doing it for a long time, right? I mean, oh, yeah. I, I grew up in a relatively small town in Ohio, and I'm gay, duh, hello. And I was like, I gotta get out of here. I gotta get out of here. So like yeah. you, and and I think a lot of people feel that way, right? Who, if you grow up and you're progressive, liberal, whatever, queer or something, and, and you want to move to a city and find people who think yeah. like you and 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 have your values. And so imagine if we, if we weren't doing that, imagine how many more voters would be in, in the Midwest and yeah. in, in all these other places if we weren't like sort of, relocating everybody into these urban centers that become deep, deep, deep blue, which is wasted votes, essentially. Yeah, It's almost like the brain drain, but like the progressive drain or something. There's something to that. Well, totally. I'll play with that. I'll get back to you. (laughs) The wheels are turning, but I guess we have to talk about state houses because that is another area where we killed it, like absolutely killed it. And it was another one I was worried about too, because it's not something that everyone knows. It's like, it's mm-hmm. a part of the like getting more civically engaged journey of knowing about your state reps and knowing the power that they have. But still, it's it's not like every single person out there and every single voter turning out really knows that. So I was totally. shocked in the best of ways. No, we killed it. We killed it. Really. <laughs> Find us in point. Scotland, like literally wearing kilts. Ah, like that, that is... We're making a musical. It's that. fine. Yeah, you're right. So a lot of people show up on election day and look at the people running for their state senate, their state house or state assembly, depending on where you live and what it's called. And they have no idea who those people are. They, they look at the names and they're like, I've never heard of those names before. Um, right. And so there's a huge amount of education and persuasion that goes into making sure that people show up and, and know at least one, and know your candidate's name. And that costs money. And historically, Democrats have not been willing to invest down ballot or at least have, haven't done it. 
well, pre, pre us, this is before our, our time for the last 40 something years, we did this cycle. We invested, people showed up. They said, these races mm -hmm. matter as we watch all these laws get passed, attacking trans kids and restricting women's rights and open carry laws, constitutional carry, no permit, like all, all of these things. Democrats said, this matters to me. This has an impact on my life. And I want people in there who are making decisions for me. Mm -hmm. um, and so we showed up. And what that looks like is we kept all of our majorities in every state legislative chamber. It's the first time that the president's party has done that in a midterm since the 1930s um, so almost 100 years ago we also flipped the michigan state house and senate what? for the first time since 1984 we flipped the minnesota senate creating a trifecta what? in minnesota we are on the border where it's actually like 12 votes right now not 12 districts 12 votes separate us from the pennsylvania house majority but i think you matter your vote matters, 12 votes, 12 votes. We are, there are six districts within 20 votes in New Hampshire. And depending on how those go, we could be very close or flip the New Hampshire legislature. And we're right on the border in Arizona as well of, of flipping that legislature. So it's big deal, huge, huge deal. Huge deal. And like, I think from what I've seen and like, we, you know, talk to States Project a lot who they, you know, and they talk about all the time, yeah. like Republicans for decades have been building this state power. And I will literally like say that I feel like Democrats in literally just one cycle have made a huge dent in that by just like focusing their organizing around, yeah, that educational piece of like your state houses matter so much in your state reps. So like pay attention. And I also love the message that it sends to these now electeds who are in office be like, no, like where you are watching you guys. And like we it's not we're not just watching, you know, Congress and the Senate and everything. Right. We're we're watching you guys. And like we want these policies to reflect us now and you will be watched where I feel like forever people haven't been paying attention to state legislatures. And even in California, some bullshit that happens in our in our state legislature just because like nobody oh. nobody watches. So I love Absolutely. the message that that sends as well, that like now people are getting into office and it's hopefully going to change some things. For sure. And that's really powerful. Like we did a lot of fundraising this cycle for those mm -hmm. state ledge candidates because it's really hard to raise for those candidates to raise money. And it doesn't cost a ton of money to run for state ledge compared to like a, a federal office like Congress or, or the Senate. Right. But it still does cost money and you still have to be able to raise money. And if you can't go get it from your neighbors and local business owners and stuff, like you have to look to other people and then you're giving PACs that, that power and you're giving other entities and businesses and, and like corporate, corporate PACs and like the, the other people that you're looking to, to fund your campaign, you're giving them power. So I'm like, right. no, let's, let's get together on a That's grassroots a level. Let's say we're going to donate. We're going to volunteer. We're going to run our candidates that represent us. And then they're going to go in there and 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 make stuff happen. That's such a good point. That like money, that money matters too, and money speaks. Money like, matters. Money matters so much. Yeah. And yeah. so much more bang for your buck. Like my oh my gosh, goodness, it's crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, people Just... love giving to Senate races. Senate races cost between fifty and a hundred million dollars. You can some of these state ledge campaigns won with like a hundred thousand dollars, like. Yeah, you can really get in early and make a huge difference as an individual. 
as a, as mm-hmm. a single person, you could get committed totally. to a state ledge campaign and really make a difference. Well, I, I think that, that was like kind of a learning lesson between 2020 and now, with the exception of maybe Stacey and Beto, is the fact that there were a lot of campaigns that were really flashy that people put a lot of money into, like the the main of the world, the Amy McGrath of the world. Oh my God, mm-hmm. Gideon, sorry. I was like, literally, why can I not think of yeah. her name? But it was like some of these campaigns where they got so many donations and they had such a big like war chest and they didn't win. And it was like misdirected funds in a lot of ways. And yeah, here's a good example of what we could do, which exactly. I think exactly. to to that point, too, is we saw in North Carolina two races, two congressional races where two of the people were in the state house and the state Senate previously that won their races. And like that's the recruiting ground for everyone you're going to see in Congress and Senate or some of these like larger statewide positions, like governor, secretary of state, whatever it may be, particular state. And it's like who you bring in or out of state house or state senate, or like you said, like whatever you call it, your uh, what the hell is the other term? I'm blanking. But Assembly. whoever you put in, thank you. House oh of delegates. God. Yeah. Delegates. There's so much. Ugh, the delegate, the delegates one really kills me. It just gives me like, I don't know, ambassador program. I'm not a fan. <laughs> Anyways. They clearly didn't run that one by me. I'll tell you that much. But regardless, <laughs> it's just such the recruiting ground. So who we put in there matters in so many different facets. So that money just, it it really fuels future to me, future congressional Senate races in and of itself. It's like the precursors, the laying the groundwork. A hundred percent. One hundred percent. Yeah, totally. Well, let's talk about the House. Where are <laughs> we at? Balance of power updates. Let's hear it. I mean, based on how this is going so far, I'm sure when we start talking about it, they're going to call right. it and I'm going to look at my phone and we're going to get it. <laughs> so as of this recording, they have not called the House. There are still, we'll say a dozen or so races that have not yet been called. You can see where it's going. You, the writing's on the wall in a bunch of them. But until a certain percent of the vote is counted, they're not going to actually make a call. The most likely scenario right now is a probably three to three to four seat Republican majority, very narrow, we'll say three, which is a really great success for us. It's it's a really that 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 I know that people are very sad to lose the house, but I yeah. just want to say that based on what the expectations were right. that and what history says should have happened, that is a huge win. That is a huge, huge success. And also Okay, so let me let me give a little bit of context there, and then we'll talk about what a three-seat majority really means. But in 2010, we lost 63 seats. In two, that was under Obama in a midterm election. In 2014, we lost, I think it was 13 seats in the House and nine seats in the Senate. I mean, if you go back more years, the average number of seats lost in a midterm election is is 26 away from the uh, from the president's party. So we were expecting to lose 26 seats. We're really going to lose single digits, which is is a huge win. That is amazing. And my question, though, goes to sort of the next steps of that. With that, say, say, let's confirm that in a sense, in a theoretical sense, the Republicans have like a three or four seat majority. What does that mean for Democrats? What does that mean for us getting things done. And also, I think this is a question that we've gotten many times is a question of codifying Roe v. Wade, abortion protections, right? Like having that and the idea that, you know, Biden was like, okay, well, if we get the Senate, we keep the House, like this is what we can do. Like, 
Do you think that there's any Republicans that then come on board this way that allow that to happen? Lots of questions. I just threw a lot at you. <laughs> yeah, let's break that into two. So what does it look like? And then let's talk about abortion as its own thing, because that's a big it's a big question. So a really narrow majority is going to be a huge pain in the ass for Republicans. What that means is that if you, if they have a three seat majority is that they need to keep their entire conference, like all of the Republicans have to vote together, essentially every single time that they want to do anything. And they are not all on the same page about stuff. There are some in, in the conference who, uh, believe it or not, are actual moderates and, and do represent more of like what we would think of as a like George Bush kind of Republican vibe where it's like, OK, I don't agree with you on stuff. But we definitely both believe in elections and that whoever wins elections should then be represented. Yeah. There are also people in the conference who are named Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert and these other people who really are a loose cannon. And, and you have no idea what they're going to do, how they're going to vote. So what's happening right now is they're negotiating who's going to become speaker, if uh, assuming Republicans do have the majority. Kevin McCarthy is the most likely kind of the only real um, option. But they're trying to get him to, co co to commit to a bunch of these changes in the rules of how they run the Senate, the House, excuse me, in order to vote for him. And one of those would be that they could take a no confidence vote at any time. So anytime that Republicans don't like something that he does, they're just going to vote and throw him out, which would be a big change in, in how that usually yeah. they also want at any time 10% of their conference is agreed on a bill, they want to bring it to the floor for a vote. So that, that means if 10% of them believe in some MAGA thing that we're going to get a vote on it. It doesn't mean it's going to pass, but it means that we're going to see what they actually want to do, which I think will actually be good for us because they want to do I was gonna crazy say. Yeah. shit. And the other thing to think about here is that in the last Congress, there were 15 departures, six by death, nine by resignation. People change, like Congress is changing all the time. They're almost never all there. They mm -hmm. are out for some reason. They're they're quitting. They're retiring. They're taking other jobs. They're getting appointed into the administration. Like it it is really hard to have all of your people there to vote on mm -hmm. something at the same point. time and have no vacancies. And so the more narrow their majority, the harder that is going to be. If God forbid, I'm not wishing this on anybody, but like if somebody dies, it's the same way that we were in the Senate. It makes it really hard. You have no wiggle room. Right. And so if if a few of them do leave. Or if maybe the Biden administration were to appoint a couple of Republicans to Ooh, and create vacancies, <laughs> then we could take a new vote and elect a new Speaker of the House that could be oh a Democrat. <laughs> no, wow. conversation is so interesting. Um, it's crazy. To me. Well, and I also just saw that they, you know, could it could take a while even for that to happen, like weeks, in fact, after they all are sworn in right. but even just That's like correct. back to the conversation about just the the shift we're gonna see too in the republican party and how also like their their small margin is i think could dwindle even more is i really think that now due to these results just across the country there's a lot of these more traditional moderate republicans are going to be able to come back out of the shadows because i think they were kind of like pushed into this corner during these MAGA years. And so I, that's going to be interesting to see too and how there might be a lot 
of them who kind of like want to shift back towards this more bipartisanship type energy. And that's going to be really interesting to see. I mean, the Trump DeSantis storm is a brewing. As mm, we I speak. can't wait for getting my tea kettle. It's a brewing. <laughs> and I think that that's going to be reflected in the House yes. as well, right? You had basically this huge surge in the MAGA people. They took sort of the mantle. They they we ran they ran their candidates all over. They lost. They got destroyed across the board. And so now you're going to have this internal war. Republicans are always referring to like civil war. I don't know if you guys know about this. They're like yes. they like tweet always. yeah they like tweet a lot about civil wars coming. I'm like maybe Is y'all were between y'all all of you guys. It was What's just gonna yours. I'm like that yeah. was like an internal family matter that you're going to have to go deal with. That you weren't. That wasn't. That had nothing to do with me. Because yeah, I think it's going to get ugly real quick. I did just look and. There were four vacancies already created in the last Congress by February. Oh, wow. Four vacancies by February after the November election. So imagine if they have a three-seat majority that literally could be gone in the next three, two months. Like they don't even take their seats until January. Yeah. So a month month later, they they were down four. So yeah, we'll see what happens. No, that's such an interesting part of it that I don't think people are talking about. There really is always a special election, which is there's something always talk. a special right. election happening. No one pays attention because there are so many of yeah. them. And every single one of those is now going to be a huge deal. Huge deal. Oh, we oh love to see it. I also have a more of like a funny question on the Speaker of the House situation, because I know that like technically anyone could be Speaker of the House. Like You could nominate literally Beyonce. And I want to know who, like, if you had to pick someone that wasn't elected, right, wasn't in the the, the field here, who would you pick? Wow, that's such a good question. question. Thank you. Who's, like, the ultimate negotiator? That's that's what you need. You need, like, lover or hater, whatever. Speaker Pelosi is an incredible Speaker of the House. She can whip the votes like nobody's business. You would need, like... I'm trying to think of somebody like a Gordon Ramsay who I hate less. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm deceased. <laughs> like literally deceased. Why am like, I immediately thinking like of bully? like someone on like Shark Tank or like fucking Mark Cuban or something? Right. Just, okay. Like, I don't know what his topics are. He's probably a Republican, right? I don't no. Know. No, he's I not. I think he's a fiscally, oh, he's conser- fiscally conservative, socially liberal type dude. I'm oh, pretty sure God. he... My eyes I'm pretty sure he all the way back. Oh yeah, <laughs> I'm pretty sure he does a lot of donating to progressive campaigns. I yeah, will get back to you on that. Maybe don't quote me on that, but I, I think, think he is more blue. Ninety percent sure. Good for him. He's definitely I don't more independent vibes. vibes, but great question. We'll yeah, or I would just go like one. full, full chaos and do like Charlie X. Yeah. <laughs> Stop <laughs> it. it. Yeah, Kim, Kim Petras for speaker. Kim Petras for yeah, speaker. Yeah, slut pop in the house. Let's fucking go. <laughs> Wait, I'm screaming. I also had a question about gerrymandering and how that was like a huge concern, obviously, huge. going to this election. What were, I guess, some of its impacts? Like, did Democrats beat the odds? Were, was it as bad as we thought as far as like these gerrymandered districts playing a huge role? No, we got um, we got effed. Am I allowed to say that we got F mm-hmm. by 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 redistricting by gerrymandering? Republicans did it in basically every state that they had the power to, which is many more states than Democrats had the power to. 
And even in the places that we tried it, it didn't go well. So we, we did kind of get screwed. New York is the most obvious example. We passed a map that some would describe as a partisan gerrymander, which it was. And we were trying to pick up more seats in New York to account for other places where we were going to lose them to Republican gerrymandering. And the court threw that map out and we got a new one that really sucked and was not favorable at all. And we lost a bunch of seats in New York because of it. California is another place where we could theoretically like gerrymander California and pick up a bunch of seats because California has so many reps. But we actually, they moved, I think it was about 10 years ago, maybe 12 years ago now to a independent commission. So we do not have the ability to gerrymander California. And Republicans did, and they did it. They did it in Montana where there was a new seat. They did it in Texas, moved every seat out of competitive territory. They did it in Florida. Probably the most egregious example was in Florida where the legislature passed a gerrymander that was aggressive. It was aggressive. And then DeSantis said, no, do worse. And then he literally wrote (laughs) his own map, which has never happened, where the governor himself created a map and they passed it. And it is egregious. It is crazy. Mm. And so we lost seats in Florida. Um, So it happened all over the place. It is really bad. We're also running under maps right now that have been ruled to be racial gerrymanders that are unconstitutional, that violate the Voting Rights Act. And the Supreme Court was like, well, the election's like pretty soon. So we're just going to use them for now. And then we'll like let this court case continue. So we could see different maps in four states that have already been ruled unconstitutional in the 24 election. Or we could lose those court cases and, and end up stuck with them again. So it's a huge problem and have to be thinking long term in order to overcome it in the future. Yeah, I have a New York question with that in mind. Do you think that if we had thrown a map out there that was a little less gerrymandered in the first place, like something more neutral, we wouldn't have gotten effed? Like they would have passed, like let it roll? Or I think that it was like mishandled in a bunch of ways. Okay. In a bunch of ways. The the individual that people like to blame is Cuomo because Cuomo appointed conservatives to the Supreme Mm -hmm. Court of New York, which makes no sense. Uh, and those are the people who then struck down the map. And yeah, I think that we could have drawn better maps. I think that we could have worked the process better and then worked the legal, the 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 legal battle over it better as well. I don't know how I don't know how we got screwed in that sense where you have other courts ruling that maps are unconstitutional and they're still using them in other states. And we not only got our map thrown out, but power of drawing the new map was just given to this one dude in a county like upstate. It might have been Western New York, but like literally random, a random political conservative leaning guy got to draw the maps. And the court was like, boom, that's the map, the end, which is insane. No, totally. I also just think that primary situation was so confusing and really... Like beyond and then also like really fucked with turnout for the actual general election for this one, because the turnout was so honestly for New York egregious, bad, Uh, bad, egregious. But we'll we'll put that rant in like side bubble situation. We'll we'll take it out for another day when we, you know, do another New York deep dive situation. I just want to touch on a little bit how a question situation. But okay, for sort of final thoughts, what is like your number one takeaway from where we're at now? And also number one takeaway for Georgia. Okay. 
my number one thought for where we're at now is good job team. That is what we needed to do. That is what we wanted to see. Let's do more of that. Like Mm -hmm. this was really excellent. It was good to see people get engaged, get mobilized, and most importantly, get out and vote. We saw record turnout. I'm really amped by it. I'm excited by how many young people are are engaging. That's the vibe. That's the T. That's how we're going to change all of these things. Yeah. The key is to stick with it. Right. Like that is the whole premise. And that even if you do vote in huge numbers in one election, it won't solve all the problems. It's about like centralizing that to who you are and what you stand for and making that part of your life forever, period. My takeaway for Georgia is there's your first opportunity. (laughs) If you just if you agree with what I just said and you're like, that's me. Yes, this is what I'm about. Then prove it like leave it on the mat. Sign up for a a phone bank for Georgia. Chip in to Raphael Warnock's campaign. Text three friends who live in Atlanta four more times between now and then to make sure they actually vote. Like Mm -hmm. it is a it is a time to do that because if we win that 51st seat, Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema lose their superpowers and we suddenly have the ability to potentially move a lot of stuff a lot faster through the Senate in a, in a good way. And yeah. so it's a big deal. The stakes are really high and we need people to get engaged. Um, leave it on the map. Just really reminded me of Stick It, which is now a movie I'm going to watch this weekend. So thank you for that inspo. Yeah, it yeah it's top 10 movies of all time. Literally. literally 100%. It's incredible. So good. I actually haven't seen that in so long and that's a major inspo a for me as well. Oh my gosh. Well, there it is. Can you tell everyone where they can find you? Also, if there are places to send money, I think we know there's one election left, but like kind of like (laughs) next action items, next steps and how you can help them do that. Totally. You can find me at Brian Derek underscore on Instagram and on TikTok, although I don't really use it. You started one? Yeah. Yeah. I'm on there. Maddie and Sam are teaching me how to use TikTok. It's going to be a thing, but it's not a thing right now, but it's going to be a thing. In process. It's going to be a thing. hundred percent. Yeah, We're making um, it. You can, you can donate to Raphael Warnock's campaign at the link in my bio and we will not share your contact information with anyone. That's huge. That's <laughs> huge. So we'll keep you off the list. And... I think that was it. And you can also sign up. There, sorry, there are also links via that link to sign up to Phone Bank as well through Knock for Yes, Democracy. I was going to say, we can also put that in the episode description of ways you can phone bank, text bank, et cetera, for Georgia. Because you can do that anywhere. So we can all contribute. But thank you so much for coming and being our third host and our back-to-back-to-back guest. We'll just, <laughs> this is just the start. This is just the start. Oh, I'm happy to do it anytime. We should have more elections just so that I can come back and talk about them more. We don't need you just for elections. We had you for Build Back Better. We had you for redistricting. Like, there is. Let's do just cool shit. 100%. Obsessed. Obsessed. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. 
Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description.